All right, folks, come on in, have a seat. We're gonna get we're gonna get started here, and really excited, really glad to have our guest with us this morning. And if you uh, have been with us for a while, you understand that uh, our guest has been with us for many, many years in a row, and we're grateful for that. And as many times as we can get him, we're gonna get him. So <laughs> it's a. Uh, so Randy Patton uh, has been uh, a part of the biblical counseling movement, uh, really uh, one of the leaders in it for, for decades. And he, uh, he's done more work with just individual counselees, training counselors. Uh, he was a part of founding ACBC, uh, which is the counseling association uh, that, that uh, certifies counselors. Um, he uh, helps churches out. He's now the leader of Team Focus Ministries. His wife, Cindy, uh, has traveled with him in, in years past, and we love her, too. We're always grateful to have her with us as well. But uh, we get Randy. We get one half of the equation this time around, but we're, we're really glad he's here. And so we're going to look forward to having a time with him. So would you welcome Randy Patton? Thank you, buddy. Well, uh, thank you, Pastor Chris, and it's a great joy to be back and uh, to see so many of you that I recognize by uh, face, and I struggle with the, the names, but uh, it's great to, to see so many of you, and um, I always enjoy coming, and I try to get here early to get my stuff set up so I can do a quality check on the coffee and the donuts just to make sure everything's up to snuff before you all get here. And uh, so things were, were good today. I just appreciate Pastor Chris so much inviting me year after year. And um, I'm not sure, but I think uh, I left uh, the church. I, I pastored a church for 12 years. And then ever since then, I've been in itinerant type ministries. And I think I've preached here more than any other single church since I left the pastorate. And... Um, so my wife keeps saying, you haven't worn that congregation out yet? They invited you, they invited you again? So, uh, so I commend you for your, your patience and your graciousness. And you folks always listen so well to the, the teaching and the preaching of God's Word that it's a, it's a great privilege for me to be here. I wanted to talk with you uh, today on this very important matter of a biblical view of anger. And I'm sure you've noticed that we live in an angry culture and where so many things are handled with just unbridled anger. And um, one person has described we're living in the generation of rage. And so I think it would be good for us to think about this uh, important matter. Could I lead us in prayer? And then if you don't have, a, I assume the notes have been distributed, everybody's got the the outline, if you, if you don't have a copy of the notes or the, outline, the handout for this, all right, raise your hand. Okay, we need, all right. Well, let's pray and ask for God's help as we uh, look at, think about this uh, topic together. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would help us all to uh, be alert to your word and help us to have good understanding of what the word says. And then help us to be humble enough to think about our own um, struggles with anger and how we express our anger. And I pray that as a result of our time together that we would all be more pleasing to you in the way we think about this subject, the way we counsel those in our circle of influence on this matter, and um, just our response to this part of your word. Help me to teach in a way that's clear and precise and genuinely helpful to these dear brothers and sisters. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 
All righty, our subject is a biblical view of anger. <clears throat> Let's uh, just start by what does the Bible have to say about God and anger? And there's five thoughts I'd like you to consider on this. First of all, the scripture leads us to understand that even a loving God gets angry. Uh, for example, one verse that you're familiar with is John 3:36, which says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Psalm 90, excuse me, Psalm 7, verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of, of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Even a loving God gets angry. Second, God's anger is a just response to what is wrong and offensive. God's anger is not sinful. Uh, Psalm 5, verse 5 says, Thou dost hate all who do iniquity. Third, as we think about the matter of God and anger, uh, Jesus was filled with anger when he encountered people who perverted the worship of God. So, for example, in Mark chapter 3, verse 4, the scripture says that Christ said to the, the Pharisees there at the time, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And the next verse says, And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Um, Jesus was filled with anger when he encountered people who perverted the worship of God. So that leads us to this understanding, that God demonstrates that anger can be utterly right, anger can be good, and anger can be appropriate, and anger can even be the loving response to sin. Now, for some of you, that may be a significant change in your thinking because some of us were raised or have been taught that every time you get angry, you have sinned. That's not true. Uh, because we see the perfect God of heaven is uh, angry and his anger is always righteous. And later, I'm going to show you that <clears throat> uh, our anger can be righteous. It tends to be sinful, but it can be righteous. All right, point E in our outline. God's anger is frequently expressed as redemptive love. That is, the gospel in the, the scriptures, the gospel was presented in terms of how the love of God and the anger of God came to be reconciled. Here's the way I would think about it. If you think about this is the uh, love of God and this is the anger of God. Both of these are part of his attributes and his characteristics. God's wrath and God's, um, God's love and God's anger meet at Calvary. That's where they come together. His love is frequently expressed as redemptive. His anger is frequently expressed as redemptive love. So in love, his just anger fell, his just anger for our sin fell on Jesus. 1 John 4.10 says, 
In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Second, in love, his anger works to disarm the power of sin. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. And then third, in love, God eventually turns man's sinful anger into good. My favorite illustration of that, of course, is from the life of Joseph, and where his brothers, in anger, sold him into slavery. And only years later, he's now the second most powerful person in the country of Egypt. And when he reveals himself to them, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So he eventually turns man's sinful anger into good. Those are some thoughts uh, worth meditating on about God and anger. So uh, if we're going to talk about this subject more fully, probably good to define it. So what is anger? Well, first of all, anger is a strong feeling of displeasure or hostility caused by a real or a perceived offense, injury, or unmet desire to oneself or others, and it's usually accompanied by a desire to retaliate or seek revenge. So, meditate on that definition for just a moment. Let's go through it. First of all, it's a strong feeling, and it's one of the strongest uh, emotions that, that we can have. And then it's a strong feeling of displeasure or hostility. And notice, the strong feeling of of anger can be caused by a real or a perceived offense. Uh, For many of us as parents, one of our disappointing memories is one time when we got angry at a child for disobeying and we punished the child in righteous indignation only we got the wrong criminal. You know, I mean, we punish the wrong one. So, you know, anger can be expressed toward a real against you, or it can be expressed toward something that's perceived, but later it turns out, oh, no, that's not what was said, that's not what happened, and so forth. And then notice also, it can be caused by a real or perceived offense, injury, or unmet desire to oneself or others. So it's not just what something what people do to us, but sometimes we get angry about what they didn't do for us that we were expecting. And again, it could be real or perceived. And then it's usually accompanied by a desire to retaliate or seek revenge. And that's just the, um, you know, the Bible teaches that we all come into the world, we're just bent towards sin. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And Nobody has to teach a child how to get angry or to hit their sibling or throw a toy or, you know, strike back at a parent who's given them instruction. I mean, it's just the, the sinful, the tendency to handle sin in a sinful way is just inherent in us. We're just bent towards sin by nature and by choice. So <clears throat> how does the scriptures talk about this? And uh, this part of the outline is a part of, in my study, has been one of the most fruitful and helpful to me. 
The New Testament has three different words to describe anger. The first one is thumos, explosive anger. The second one is orge, which is an abiding, settled attitude of indignation that frequently seeks revenge. And then the third word is the Greek word paragismos, which is anger mingled with irritability, exasperation, or embitterment. Now, what I'd like you to do, and I know this may be hard with your coffee cups or your notes, but if you could grab your Bible, I want to show you where all three of these are. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at the next to the last verse in the chapter. Ephesians 4, 31. All right, Ephesians 4, 31 lists six specific sins that God says we're to put away from us. So the scripture says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So those are six sins that God says... Get rid of all of these from your life. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is number two and number three in the list. So look at it. Let all wrath be put away from you. The word translated wrath is this first word, thumos. And it refers to an explosive, uh, handling anger in an explosive way. So uh, here's a way to remember it. God has designed our bodies in such a way that when... Something happens and it prompts a a displeasure or anger on our part. Anger always generates energy. And so a person who's given to handling anger in a thumos way, a person who, thumos is manifested when a person gets angry and the energy goes out toward attacking people or things. So a person who's uh, given to thumos explodes and will, you know, hit the wall, kick the dog, yell, scream. With kids, it's temper tantrums. That's thumos. I mean, the energy is going like this. And I'll give you a a way to help you remember this going forward. Um, Picture a volcano. Then picture the volcano exploding while you say the Greek word, thumos. That's exactly what it is. You know, it's just, the energy's going that way. And again, it attacks people or things, all right? So now look at the third word in the list. There's six things that God says to get rid of. Wrath is thumos. Look at the next one. He says, and let all anger be put away from you. Anger is the second word, orge. And with orge, this is what could be called the slow, settled burn, and with orge, the, ang- the energy generated by the anger is turned in on oneself. So the person who's given to anger, excuse me, to given to orge, they kind of stomp around, hard to get along with. And we have ways of talking about people like that. We talk about people, they just always seem to have a chip on their shoulder. Or they're just always upset about something. Or, you know, and it's just like they're stomping around like that. With children... Orge is oftentimes manifested in them not responding when you speak to them. Like they'll act like they didn't hear you. 
or they'll go shut the door in the room, put on their earphones, and just kind of just block you out. Or they oftentimes it's manifested in subpar performance at school. Okay? So uh, here's a way to help you remember orge. Just think about the word orge and then just say it with some emphasis and some expression. Orge. That's what it is. It's just the anger, the energy is just turned in like that. Now, what I've observed in my own life and um, in counseling, I think I'd probably say just as a generalization, I think all of us deal with both of these. I think there's a tendency, though, for most of us to have a propensity toward one. What I've observed in my marital counseling is that oftentimes couples will kind of live with a a cold war going on, or gay being kind of the dominant influence in the home, but then something happens and then there's thumos and hurtful words are said or things are done and sometimes it gets so bad that, okay, we got to get some help, all right? And you may see that with your children. I mean, there's or gay for a while, then in some event, and then there'll be or gay for a while and so forth. What I want to point out to you is this. Ephesians 4.31 is really clear. Let all bitterness all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all slander be put away from you, along with all malice. All right? This is, I think, significant for each of us to think, okay, well, at least I don't go around knocking holes in walls. I haven't hit my wife or something. And some will justify their orge by saying, well, it's more socially acceptable than thumos. You see? They're both wrong. I mean, Ephesians 4.31 says these are not to be a part of our life. This is not how we're to handle our anger. Later, I'm going to talk to you about how the anger is to be handled. But our anger is not to be, the energy is not to be expressed like this or like this. Both of those are wrong. Now, one other point. In my travels, I get to travel a lot and speak in different places. For many, many years, I've been... um, I've been convinced that most Christian parents know that when a child pitches a fit, rants and raves, throws something or hits somebody, they know that is wrong and they'll do something about it. They may not be real firm about it, but they'll do something about it. They at least know that that's wrong. My observation is that in many Christian circles, while they view thumos as wrong as something that demands attention, they will tolerate or gay. And say, I just can't wait till we get out of these terrible twos. Or, I'll tell you, this teenage year stuff is driving me nuts as a parent. Like, if this is just a phase that's to be tolerated for a while. And the reason is, typically, or, or gay has less social consequences than thumas. I mean, you pitch a fit at work, you may get fired. You can be ouchy and grouchy at work, and people will just avoid you. Is that clear? But again, what I want to emphasize to you is none of us can justify our thumas or our orge in ourselves or in our children, because Ephesians 4.31 is clear. Let all of that be put away from you, you see. So that's two out of the three. Now, you're in the book of Ephesians. For most of you, just flip one page. And go to chapter 6, or go across the page, 
to chapter 6, verse 4. And this part of Ephesians is talking about parent-child relationships. I mean, look at Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, if you were raised in a Christian home, that's probably the very first verse in the Bible your parents had you memorize. And, uh, I mean, they had you memorize that one before they had you memorize John 3.16. All right? But jump down now. Look at, look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children to paragismos, the third word. And this is more like an umbrella term. I think it covers both thumos and orge. And what this is referring to is fathers, don't raise your children whose default response to not getting what they want, is anger in one form or another. And uh, I, I can't prove it, but my, my sense is that we live in a generation of angry children. I know back in my home in Indiana, our news is just filled with reports of horrendous crimes being committed by teenagers. And, um, I mean, murders, robberies, Shootings with 14-year-olds being charged with murder. I mean, it's just, uh, in our area, it's really serious. A while back, my wife and I had gone to a, a mall and just uh, do a little shopping and so forth. And we stopped by a coffee shop, got some coffee, and we're sitting there uh, outside just watching people go by doing what we call sociology studies, you know, just uh, looking at the people. And Cindy said to me, look at the face faces of the teenagers she said almost all of them are angry see well what the bible is teaching warning those of us who are parents is don't bring up your children whose default response to not getting what they want or getting their way in life is anger either thumas or either one we just don't want to raise angry children is what the scriptures are saying. And again, it's more of an umbrella term. So those are the three words that are used primarily in the New Testament to describe this matter of anger. Thumas, orge, and then paragismos. All right, so back to the outline now. In the New Testament, there's three words for anger. We just looked at those. Let's move on. Point C, what this leads us to understand, therefore, is that anger is not a thing. Anger is not just something inside of you. All parts of our nature are involved. When we get angry, our emotions are involved, our bodies are involved, our, our minds are involved. It affects our spiritual life. It certainly affects our behavior. Therefore, I think it's wrong. It's not biblical for us to say, well, my anger got the best of me. You know, like it's something to part from me. No, <laughs> our anger is part and parcel of what we are. It's an expression of part of what we are. So anger has an object, a target, and the target may be human or non-human. You know, our, our anger can be expressed toward, you know, hitting the wall or I said earlier, kicking the dog or, uh, you know, giving our spouse the cold shoulder or whatever. Anger has an object. And then we need to recognize that anger is oftentimes a means of coercing, manipulating, and intimidating. Anger is often a weapon that is used to get what we want 
or to punish people when we don't get what we want. So we've talked up to this point about God and anger. I've tried to answer the question, what is anger? Number three in our outline, I want to just address the fact that anger is natural. Anger is natural because we are created in the image of God. God has the capacity for anger, and so do we. This is one of the ways we're created in his image. We've got this capability, you know. Dogs and cats uh, don't have that innate ability. But our sinful nature also has the capacity to be angry in a sinful way. That's not true with God. He does not have a sinful nature. So our sinful nature has the capacity to be angry in a sinful way. And no one has to teach a child how to throw a temper tantrum or to strike out against a friend. What the scripture teaches is that our anger comes from our heart. Um, In Mark 7, 20 to 23, Jesus Christ lists 13 different sins and says all of these come from the heart. He says, that which proceeds out of the man, that's what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, the fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within you, from within, and defile the man. As I think about that list of 13 sins, I think there are are multiple ones that can be fueled by anger. Evil thoughts, murders, certainly. Uh, Wickedness, slander, speaking evil of people, deceiving people. All of these can be traced back to uh, anger. Now, not only is anger natural, anger is also learned. And Anger is taught and it's modeled to us by parents, by siblings, by spouses, by coworkers, by coaches. In other words, as we grow up, with all of us grow up, we learn um, what to get upset about and how to show our displeasure. Here's a passage that's been so uh, striking and meaningful to me. Um, Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25, the scripture says, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, lest you learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Um, I'm, uh, I like to encourage all the fathers of uh, unmarried daughters and all the unmarried women listening to underline that verse in your Bible and memorize it and obey it. Do not associate with a man given to anger, lest you learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Uh, <clears throat> when uh, we have two children, a son and a daughter, and when they were approaching the teenage years and would be, uh, we anticipated doing some dating. Um, I talked, we didn't, have very, we didn't have a lot of rules. I mean, they had to date Christians, and ideally we wanted them dating growing Christians. And, uh, but I had one rule for my daughter that I didn't have for my son, and that was she could not date an angry young man. And I went to enough athletic events at their school to have an idea who some of those guys were. Because oftentimes it's through sports 
when the calls don't go the way you want them to or the coach is not playing you the way you think you ought to be played or giving the playing time you think. And uh, <clears throat> I had her memorize this verse. I remember uh, a few years ago I was counseling a lady <clears throat> who had come. She'd been through a very, very hard, abusive marriage relationship. And she's now uh, divorced and she's in her... She's had just... Um, recently come out of her third marriage. And as she told me about her life and everything, it's just like she had one abusive relationship. She had been mistreated by men um, over the years, even going back to high school. So I'm just saying to her, we had, over the sessions, we developed a <clears throat> um, good relationship. And I felt like I could ask her, I said, you know, <clears throat> it, it's, it's curious to me, you're, you're, you're a bright woman. You're articulate. You present yourself well. You've professed faith in Christ for, for decades. I said, would you educate me? How is it that a woman with your attributes ends up being mistreated by a guy in high school, and then you go to college, and there, in a couple of dating relationships, you end up getting mistreated. You end up marrying some guy that you describe as a bum, and then later, you're out of that marriage into another one, and he mistreats you. And I said, help me understand how that happens. <clears throat> and um, we had previously talked about this passage. And she says, I look back, and she said, my whole life would have been different if I had memorized those two verses and I had obeyed them. My story can be summarized by me violating those two verses. And uh, I remember as she finished telling her story, she says, you know, you don't know this, Randy. She said, you just know me now. But she said, in the past, I used to be a nice, sweet, lovable young woman. He said, look at me now. I'm just an angry old woman. When I think about that, do not associate with a man, lest given to anger, lest or go with a hot-tempered man, lest you learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. On a personal side, uh, my parents were Christians. I had the privilege of being raised in southeastern Ohio, down in the foothills of Appalachia, right near where the Garden of Eden used to be. And uh, <clears throat> spite of what you Californians think, uh, and uh, my dad was a World War II vet. And after he got home from the war, later he and mom got married. He started a business, and we attended a good Bible-believing Baptist church. And I was saved at the age of ten. I had a fabulous childhood. I'd said a fabulous childhood. I love where I grew up, living in the country, all the options that that gave me, and everything and how God worked in my life and everything. My parents did lots and lots of things right. But they were not perfect. And one of the biggest areas where my dad struggled all his life was in handling his anger. And I can still remember, just being a little guy, I was probably 9, 10, something like that maybe. We're out in the garage doing something, and dad has one of his Dumas events again. And I remember just as a little guy thinking, I hate that. I hate that. And thinking, I 
never going to be like that. Well, guess what? I've struggled with much of my life. You know? Do not associate with a man given to anger, lest you learn his ways. And one of the greatest motivations for all of us as adults to get a handle on our anger is so that that weakness in us, that sinful tendencies in us, is not multiplied in the lives of our children or our grandchildren. We want to model a different response to it. The point is, anger is learned. Not only is anger learned, but anger is practiced. And it can become a habit or a second nature. Proverbs talks about it this way. Proverbs says, um, A man of great anger shall bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you only have to do it again. In other words, a person given to anger, I mean, they'll get themselves in one mess, and you may help them get out of that one. But if they're given to anger, they're going to get into another mess. That's why when Ephesians 6, 4 says, uh, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. What it's talking about is, don't raise a child like this one spoken of in Proverbs. Don't raise a child who's given to anger. That's what I call their default response, not getting what they want, is, is one form of anger. All right, let's move on. Number five in our outline, anger is a moral matter. By that I mean anger judges things. That is, we evaluate people or circumstances and we find them wrong or lacking or displeasing to us. You know, we get angry and we say things like, well, that law is stupid. Or we say something like, if he does that again, it's going to cost him. Those are expressions. We're judging things. We're judging people. But not only does anger judge things, but anger itself is judged. That is, the Bible teaches that God is going to judge our judging. God judges our judging, our thinking, our perceptions. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Do not go on passing... uh, Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of each man's heart. Anger is a moral matter. Anger judges things, and our anger itself will be judged in the future. Number six, most people have a faulty perception of anger. Most people think their anger is a normal and justifiable response to the way they have been treated. I think I can summarize the, the tendency that many of us have when we evaluate our anger. And if you could look at me for just a minute, I could illustrate it this way. My anger is righteous indignation. Your anger is sin. I think that's the way most of us tend to think about it. You know, we think more highly of ourselves than we, we ought to think. Most people think of their anger in a normal and justifiable response. And yet, the Bible consistently warns against being angry. Um, for example, James 1, verses 19 to 20 says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Or think about this one, Romans twelve nineteen. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
In other words, one of the things that can help us tame our anger is resting in this. Okay, God's the one who's going to settle the accounts. I don't have to go through life settling accounts myself. Not only does the Bible warn us to not be angry, but further, the Bible commands a different response to what most people think is normal and justifiable occasion for anger. In other words, biblical Christianity is going to help us look at situations in a different way and where for unsaved people it would look like this a perfectly legitimate circumstance where anger is warranted. The scriptures are going to tell us as Christians to think and act differently. So, for example, here's one. Christ is speaking in Matthew 5, and he says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, if there's anybody we ought to be able to be angry at and to be okay, it would be our enemies, right? Oh, no, as Christians, we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Or think about this one, Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, some people are not peaceable. But our goal, our command is, we're working hard to be at peace with people. Not to get our way, not to settle the score. So the conclusion is, the Bible teaches that our tendency is to be sinfully angry. That's our tendency. So how do we know when our anger is sin? Well, point E in your outline. I think there's four indicators, four criteria to help us determine whether our anger is appropriate or whether it's sinful. First of all, our anger is sinful when it is selfishly motivated. I think that's where um, many of us would find ourselves most of the time. It certainly would be true with me. It's just when I'm not getting what I want or people aren't doing what I expect and so forth. Anger is sinful also when God's goal in the matter is distorted. When God's goal in the matter is distorted. Let me remind you of 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When we do something to the glory of God, it means that we handle the situation or we deal with the person in such a way that it prompts people to think highly of our God. All right? So it means that when we're resolving a difficult situation, and there can be a lot of energy involved in that because we're upset with what happened, We've got to harness that energy and use it in a way to resolve the conflict in a way that prompts people to think well of our God. You know, they would think, man, that, that person handles things differently than my neighbor handles it when the, the things don't go their way. So anger is sinful when it's selfishly motivated, when God's goal in the matter is distorted. And then third, here's one, anger is sinful when it's allowed to linger. I draw your attention to Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Look at this. This is so significant. Be angry and yet don't sin. Now, that immediately means it's possible to, to be angry and not sin. I mean, the, that's what the verse is saying. Be angry and yet don't sin. In other words, you can have all that energy inside, but you can handle it in a way that is not sinful. It's not thumos. It's not orge. It can be handled in a different way. So be angry and yet do not sin. Then don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. This is a very instructive verse. It says, be angry yet don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Back in New Testament times, they measured a day from sundown to sundown. We don't do that. I mean, we measure a day from midnight to midnight. So the thrust of the passage is, use the energies 
generated by anger to solve the problem that created the anger. That's what it means. Harness the energy and use it to solve the problem. So um, this is a, a passage that I used some years ago to help with a man who had all his life had struggled with sinful anger, particularly thumos. And it cost him at least one marriage. The marriage he's in right now is hanging by a thread, largely due to his sinful anger. And he's lost a couple of jobs because of his anger and uh, sinful anger. And he's coming for biblical counseling. He's a professing Christian. He's wanting to change and grow. And so I've taught him some of the things that we've talked about today. But I was saying to him, anger is a God-given, it's a legitimate emotion. The issue is not, do you get angry? It's how do you handle the energy? And uh, so an illustration I used with him that seemed to be helpful to him, I said, let's say that after today's counseling session, you're going to leave, you got an appointment, and you got about 15 minutes to get there. Looks like, and let's say I run over five minutes, so that puts a little bit of time pressure on you. You get down to the secretary's office, and she's not, she's finishing a phone call. She, she doesn't get to you for a couple of minutes. So by the time you get in your car, you're feeling the pressure to get there, and it starts raining, and you're trying to get there as quickly as you can. Traffic's going pretty good, and right when you think you're going to make it on time, some one, some driver pulls out in front of you and starts driving real slow. And you think, oh, glory. And finally, you're able to get around her, and you pass. And you're almost to your place, and all of a sudden, thump, 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 flat tire. I said, six months ago, how would you have handled that? He said, six months ago, I would have put over to the side of the road, and I would have swore and hit the dash on my car so hard. And... um I probably would have called my wife or the person and I would have struggled to communicate to them without using foul language. And finally I'd get out and I'd kick the tire and I'd be grumbling and griping while I'm getting the jack out of the trunk and everything. I said, okay. Now, let's say the same scenario happens. Everything else I've said up to that point, thump, 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 thump. And that happens today, in light of what you're learning from the scripture. What would God want you to do as you pull off the road? He said, well, I'd still be angry. But he said, God would want me to harness that energy, get out, and change that tire in record time. I said, that's it. You harness the energy and use it to solve the problem that created the anger. So you might think about that, some of you that are raising children, when there's disasters and things are knocked over and things are not done, you might think about, okay, what does this mean? Okay, I got some extra energy right now, and it's needed to deal with some situations. This also happens when we're in interpersonal relationships where something hurtful has been said, something hurtful has been done, and we're angry about it. Oftentimes, that extra energy needs to be harnessed to help you have a difficult conversation that without the energy, you would just avoid. But you're saying, okay, I I need some extra energy to address this one. And God provides it that way. All right, so the point is anger is sinful when it's allowed to linger 
We don't let it linger. We harness the energy to use it to solve the problem. Number four, anger is also sinful when it attacks a person instead of the problem. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Unwholesome words frequently come out of our mouths when we're angry. All right, number seven in our outline. Uh, here's some thoughts on handling our sinful anger. And I'm going to just offer eight what I hope will be viewed as practical suggestions. All right, as we uh, think about this subject and kind of pulling it together, how do we handle our sinful anger? Well, first, I would say, I think we need to recognize that most of your anger is sinful. I mean, I wish I could say that most of my anger tends to be righteous, but the fact of the matter is it tends to be sinful. We just need to acknowledge that we've got some work to do there. Second, then identify the idolatrous thinking and desires. In other words, what is it that fuels or tends to fuel your anger? Here are four uh, idolatrous desires that uh, by an idol we mean something that's so important. It's more important to you than maybe pleasing God. One is not getting your way or what you want. Um, That's talked about in James 4, verses 1 and 2. It asks this important question. What is the source of quarrels among you and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're anxious, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It's idols, things I want so badly, whether it's respect from somebody or um, letting them let me pull in front of them in traffic, whatever it might be. It's when I want something so badly, I'm willing to sin to get it. And then sometimes we want good things too much so that they become idols in our heart. Romans 1 talks about that. It says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Third suggestion is to identify sinful ways that you've expressed anger. And Anger can be sinfully expressed by blowing up, uh, that's thumos, by clamming up, that's orge, by becoming irritable, that'd be paragismos, or attacking a substitute, or I think uh, anger can become sinful by just denying the anger. Oh, no, I'm not angry. Oh, yes, you are. (laughs) Point D in our outline, confess your sin to God and to others. Confess to appropriate people. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, If you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. To confess means to say the same thing that God says. And if you're being convicted that your sin is, your anger is sinful, you need to acknowledge it. I struggle with sinful anger. And then acknowledge to God and others your evil motives, your attitudes and actions. We saw earlier from Mark 7 that from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You would want to limit the confession uh, to those against whom you've sinned. And sins that are widely known may require wider confession. 
you know, our confession of our sins ought to be as wide as the knowledge of the sin. So if you manifest a sinful anger to your spouse, you need to confess to God and your spouse. If you did it in front of the spouse and the kids, you need to confess to God and your spouse and your kids. If you pitched a fit in a church business meeting, uh, you'll need to confess your sin to God and the congregation. The circle of confession is to be as wide as the circle of the knowledge of sin. And then you want to ask God and the appropriate people for forgiveness. And then accept the forgiveness of God and those who have extended forgiveness to you and act forgiven. I had an opportunity to talk with one of the wonderful leaders in the church I pastored about this. It was a man who um, happened to lead our choir back then. And um, in one of the choir practices, he manifested sinful anger in the way he handled uh, some people not performing the way he wanted them to. And uh, I heard about it and uh, later talked to him about it. He acknowledged his sin and I told him that he needed to talk to the choir about it. And he, he, was, um, he was godly enough, he certainly knew he had sinned. And I said, well, you just need to talk to the choir about it, acknowledge your sin, ask them to forgive you. And uh, I said, nobody in the choir is perfect. They've all, they understand these principles. So he did that, and they forgave him and everything. But afterwards, I noticed over the next couple of times, and my wife, was, who was in the choir, told me he did a nice job confessing, but she commented, Ben doesn't act, or doesn't look like he's forgiven. He's still walking around with his head down, for, reluctant to look at people and so forth. So I had to have another meeting with him. And I asked him, I said, hey, uh, did you talk to the choir? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I already knew you that because my wife told me you did. And she said you did a good job. Did the choir members say they forgave you? He said, yeah. And they, they, they said, we forgive you. And they uh, clapped. So he said, I felt that. And I said, but as I watch you, you don't look like a man who's forgiven. You're walking around with your head down, your shoulders humped. I said, you've been forgiven. We know God will forgive you. That's the promise of 1 John 1, 9. The choir told you forgiven, so you need to accept their forgiveness and act forgiven. Instead of wallowing in the self-pity that made a fool of myself in front of the, the choir. So, accept the forgiveness of God and those who've extended forgiveness to you. And act forgiven. And then point G, pray for God's help in turning from anger to righteousness. And then point H. Develop a specific plan to replace the sinful anger with godly motives, thoughts, words, and actions. Here's a passage that uh, you're familiar with. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which has been corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. None of us change in fuzzy land. We all change and grow in specifics. And uh, I saw this in relation to anger worked out very specifically with a counseling case I had uh, a few years ago. It was a husband and wife who were prominent members of a respected church in the northwest part of our state. And uh, the husband committed adultery a couple of times. When it became known... um, it, of course, caused great heartache and great grief with his wife. And their church got involved right away, and uh, he was unrepentant for a short period of time. 
But the church leaders, I mean, they really got on it, got after him, started the process of church discipline. And um, later the man repented, and he and his wife were advised to um, come for counseling to try to address some of the issues that may have contributed to the immorality. Didn't justify it, but may have contributed to it. So they, the case was assigned to me, and uh, they made good progress. We had, there seemed to be good unity between them. And the wife said, just for a name, I'll call her Linda. She said to me, she says, you know, in many ways, our marriage is better than it has been maybe in the last five, seven years. And she says, I really think, I'll call him Jim for a name. She says, I really think Jim has, has changed. But she says, Randy, you've got to help me with something. There are times when uh, I'm at home with uh, the kids and just something will happen, and I'll start thinking about the lies he told me, the money he spent on those women, the, the things that we went with, the kids and I went without because of the way he was mismanaging the money. And sometimes I'll think about that, and she says, sometimes I get so angry. She says, I, I mean, I really think that if he was there, I mean, I'd hurt him. She said, I get so angry about that. And she says, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's just like I start down that path, and the next thing I know, I mean... I could really commit a crime against him if I could get my hands on him. And uh, she said, I want you to help me with that. So I said to her, um, well, let's, let's think about this. Uh, let's, instead of thinking about your memories of him, his failures being a, a downward slide into sinful angry, anger, let's see if we can turn it into steps toward righteousness. So I said, we're going to reinterpret those thoughts. So the first time you think about him uh, doing that, you should interpret that as a reminder that you're to be reviewing your scripture memory cards. So get them out, review them, uh, keep quoting those verses out loud until that kind of pushes that thought out of your mind. A little bit later, when you think about it again, you're going to interpret that second time as a, as a reminder for you to reach out and do something to encourage and help somebody. So you may call them on the phone, depending on when it is, you may be out, you may swing by the nursing home to see somebody, or um, go by somebody's house, hey, I just want to think about you, how you're doing. Third time you think about it on a given day, this is an opportunity for you to sing praises to God. Sing your favorite worship choruses, your favorite hymns, but I mean, and depending where you are, I mean, belt it out and worship God. Fourth time it happens on a given day, this is a reminder to you to pray fervently for two Christians that you know are carrying heavy loads in life right now. And the fifth time it happens on a given day, it's a call to you to get out to start working on that new memory verse that you're working on and filling your mind with God's word and start working on that new verse. She began doing that, following that five-step plan, turning those thoughts into steps toward righteousness. And uh, she came back and told me that that had had a marvelous fruitfulness in her life. And she said, you know, I still have those painful memories, but I'm learning to turn them into steps toward righteousness. That's what I mean about being specific. So you may want to think about that application with your own life, but some of you may have children or grandchildren that are struggling with anger, and you want to help them be something to keep in mind. Here's a couple of good uh, books. Think about Uprooting Anger by Robert Jones. And then the book Good and Angry is uh, really, really helpful. I think I've got that listed there. And then here's some little mini books or little pamphlets that are helpful. Um, and I hope you'll, you can get all those from Amazon if you want them.
Well, those are some biblical thoughts on a biblical view of anger. And with 10.13, I'm told that the floor drops out at 10.15, so i got time for a couple minutes of questions, if any. When I'm watching some entertainment, uh, most of what I see has a... I mean, anger sells in the media, you know, in entertainment. I mean... What do we do? Do we just turn it off? What's, what's, what's up with that? All right, yeah, the, the question is good. I mean, the fact is, whether we're watching that kind of entertainment or not, we see it. If you watch sports, you know, so much of sports is people manifesting anger and um, the leagues having it, their teams issued discipline and so forth. First of all, I think it can be a reminder to us, I don't want to be like that. That's not how I'm going to handle my anger. And then with children and grandchildren, I think it's to say, kids, you don't want to handle your anger, your frustration that way. And then talk to them about the different ways of doing it. Uh, I think what contributes to our children handling anger is that the people that do it get glorified. And we can see that they're not glorified by us. We can speak, speak against it. So, Okay, it's 10.15. Chris, we think we're done, right? All right. Thank you, folks. You always listen so well. You've done it again. God bless you, and look forward to seeing you upstairs.